Welcome to Excel Boats on the X Podcast, powered by Mud Buddy Motors. I love the smell of napalm in the morning. The only podcast to bring you insights on the world of hunting, fishing, and boating. With your host, J. Paul Jackson. You don't say much, do you? Now, load up and side in. This is On the X. Welcome to the Excel Boats on the X Podcast, powered by Mud Buddy Motors. J. Paul Jackson here today with my co-host Dave Reynolds out in West Jordan, Utah, holding down the fort at Mud Buddy. What's going on, Dave? Well, what's going on? I'm looking outside and um, it's cloudy and little breeze. I wish I was out there product testing this afternoon, but um, it m- might have to wait till tomorrow. But it's definitely gonna have to wait till tomorrow because I only got three and a half hours of shooting time today. So yeah, <laughs> things are good. <laughs> Things are good, but you know, you mentioned uh, Jay Paul before this podcast that uh, you were in the doghouse, and and uh, I got <laughs> news for you. I'm in the doghouse too because on the last hunt, my I took my dog in an area. He's got a puncture wound on his front paw, and he had a bad laceration on his rear paw. So, speaking about the, being Ooh. in the doghouse, we are both in the doghouse, and she is out for a good three weeks now. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And mom wasn't happy when you came home with her baby. Uh, no, no, not at all. It's called Phragmites. That is the culprit. Mm. Yeah, yeah, they are really, really tough. You know, we don't have those here in the in the Mississippi Flyway, but we do hunt a lot of flooded corn and flooded cornfields. Same deal. I get in trouble with my wife every season because I'll take a dog and it'll get a corn stalk, cut a pad. Yeah, she gets. <laughs> They just don't understand that stuff. No, they didn't. Yeah, <laughs> no, they, no, they don't. Yeah, it's, it's all your fault. Yeah, it's my fault. And yeah, they they don't quite understand it. it it's yeah, it's it's not <laughs> it's not a good deal. I had to run to the uh, store this afternoon to get a scalpel, buy a scalpel from medical, um, and then do our Go own uh, do our own little surgery. Yeah, drain and abscess. So uh, yeah. It's a routine I go through every year. <laughs> I, you know what a very, very wise man once told me? He said, son, in marriage, you can be right or you can be happy. And let me tell you what, <laughs> I'm a very happy man because at my house, I am always wrong. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, that's the way it is. Well, I'm sorry to hear that you're in the doghouse right now, but I'm glad you're at least here with us today because... We've also got another really special guest. Our, our, our guest today is a guy that's you know, pretty well known throughout the Midwest. Every sporting goods store that you go in, if you ask them if they know Jeff Watts, uh, they're going to tell you yes, because Jeff is a, uh, a principal in, um, and Jeff, you correct me if I'm wrong, Mid-America Sports Sales? That's correct. Uh, you know, Mid-America sports sales throughout the Midwest, including in Illinois, Missouri, Nebraska, Kansas, Arkansas, I'm probably missing a state. Uh, you are the rep for a lot of different companies, but you also have um, a, a real, real strong relationship with Sika Gear, both as a, a product developer, tester, and sales guy. Is that right? That's correct. That's right. Man. Well, it's a pleasure for Dave and I to have you as our guest on the show today. Uh, I know some really, really cool stuff's going out there in the gear, on out there in the gear world with Sitka. So we want to talk with you a little bit about that. But uh, first, I know you hunt both in uh, Missouri from 
around the Kansas City area where you live all the way down into southern Arkansas and, and the area where I have a camp and where Dave hunts with our sales rep, uh, Bill Atkinson, every year. How's your preparations for duck seasons going? Well, it's going good. We had a, uh, a flood here in Missouri uh, a couple weeks ago, and so we got a bunch of free water. Our woods are full. Um, we flood about 300, and uh, so we flood in the woods. We flood about 150 to 160 of the 300 that we got there, and then in our moist soil, a WRP track, we've got about 500 acres that we put about 320 acres of water on, and so we're we're full. We're actually starting to drop some water off to get it back to the good depths for uh, puddle ducks. Arkansas, um, Arkansas, I think shaping up. We um, we've got some leases on some rice fields that the the local farmers take care of that for us, and then um, uh, the other couple places. Really, I don't have to do much down there. I mean, we hunt the woods most of the time, so you're not making blinds or brushing blinds or any of that stuff. So you're just showing up and finding a nice tree. Let me ask you, Jeff, past few years, um, what has been most consistent hunting or most productive, Missouri or Arkansas? Um, the past few years for me, you know, it's probably been, I, I've got a really, I go to a, so we've got a house on Maddox Bay, which is right on uh, the White River Refuge down there. And so, you know, we want an overflow, we want a flood down there so we can hunt the couple hundred thousand acres we've got right behind the house. And we haven't had that down there. But I kind of hedged my bet, and uh, I've, I've got a, uh, a spot in a place up by Augusta that's, that's really, really good called White Oak Duckwoods. And so I'm kind of spoiled with that because it's pretty, it's good whether, you know, the, the, the bottoms flood out or not. And um, so it, it's been good down there. Missouri hasn't been bad. Our woods in Missouri haven't been as good because um, I think the migration patterns that we've had we we don't always put water into those woods at, at the same time so we can kind of take care of our trees and last year we put water in the woods a little later than normal and um, then we immediately froze last year was unseasonably cold across the whole country really and we we froze up 10 12 days after we put water on it so we shot them we shot them for about six five or six seven, seven days and then we kind of went into uh, we got to go find a mode and so that's using big boats um you know using boats instead of just driving in and, and waiting shooting so, mm -hmm. so well it's good to have the option uh, between the two areas good yeah, yeah tell me something you just mentioned that uh you flooded late and then within a week or two you froze out um you know we talk a lot here on the podcast about imprinting ducks and always like to hear people's thoughts on that uh, how do you think you know, missing a year, uh, basically, with water during duck season, when, when you've got an area that ducks are accustomed to using, how big a deal do you think that is? I think it's a pretty big deal. I mean, it's a big enough deal to where, to where I mean, we keep water on those woods as late as we can uh, physically keep it on there. And, um, I, you know, I, I think there's a lot of imprinting that goes on going south, for sure but there's a ton of it going north uh, on their way back. And I do think you miss some because um, they just don't, they just don't, uh, they don't use those parts of, of, of uh, that habitat that is there when there's ice. They get all mobbed up and they, they stay mobbed up and they, you know, they just go to big water, they go to moving water. And when you're talking moving water here, you're talking 
um, you're talking the Missouri River, or you're talking um, big reservoirs like Truman Reservoirs, um, some of the power plants around us. So it, it kind of it changes it a bit. I mean, we see it out here too in, yeah. in Utah. Yeah. I mean, obviously the big water years are the best hunting. The last year we've had real good water was probably six years ago, and the it was phenomenal. Yeah, we had ducks all year long, and a, and a lot of ducks. Um, you know, this year, well, we're experiencing drought once again, had extremely dry winter, hottest, driest summer on record, and, yeah, we, we don't have the water. Hunting has been good so far, but uh, I anticipate later in the year. What, what I see is, you know, the ducks will probably still migrate through, but they will stay very short. You know, if there's no water, there's no food, and there's nothing for them. So they may, you know, still be imprinting on Utah, but um, they don't stay long. They come in and out or they'll they'll fly through overnight. Um, so I, I think it has, you know, has a, a big, you know, water levels have a big effect on uh, probably more so out, out west than anywhere else. One of the things that was really amazing to us last year is how cold it got in Missouri or mid-Missouri and um, how many ducks were still on the Missouri River when it was like we were in like day 10 of it being froze solid and I've got some we had some great hunts on it we had some hunts when the ice flow on on the Missouri was so heavy that you couldn't get on it with a boat so we walk in and I mean unbelievable amount of ducks and I don't know if they ever left you know just because of of the management that the, the Department of Conservation is doing here just the hardiness of those ducks I think some of those ducks they don't even get to Arkansas for whatever reason and I think you're seeing that across the flyway is the the the, the migration is not going as far south you know you I think you're dead on right and I think there are a lot of factors that influence that and i think one of the big ones right now and you know we've seen this over the last few years um is corn prices have been so good uh been a lot of corn farmed and you've got a lot of farmers that are doing no-till and uh you know we've talked about this on the program before when you're doing no-till you're not coming back and disking up those stalks right after you run the picker through there picking that corn so when you do come through and pick it, uh, instead of coming through after it with a disc, you come through after it with a bush hog, and the the corn the cob that that is left with kernels on them, instead of disking them under, you're broadcasting them everywhere. And uh, you know it's funny. About four years ago, I was uh, up filming some stuff on the Missouri River up near the the. Nebraska, Kansas, Missouri border right there where they all three meet. And it was 10 degrees above zero, but there wasn't a whole lot of snow cover. There was a lot of ice in the river, but it was still passable. And we smashed the ducks for three days straight where they were feeding, dry feeding in a big no-till cornfield, plenty of food, still some open water on the river. And those ducks are not going anywhere. You know, those birds, uh, they've got food, they've got open water, they've got high-carbohydrate food for when it's that cold. I think you're right. It causes them to shortstop. A lot of people want to blame it on, you know, um, different departments of conservation feeding the birds, but it's really our farming practices 
are feeding the birds, and that's what shortstops them. What do you think about that? I, I don't disagree at all. I mean, I've, I've seen it. I know exactly where you're hunting up there um, in the Bob Brown, Rulo area, and we've witnessed it ourselves. And, you know, it's um, – you, you don't – you don't only – you're not only seeing it there, you see it through the state of Kansas and all those reservoirs that go down through there, you know, that all, all the way in that. So that would really be the central flyway. And, and I think a lot of those ducks that come through that area, Squaw Creek and whatnot, they're not even coming into Arkansas. Those, if you look at a map, if you look at um, a map, um, it's, it's a straight shot basically over Tulsa, Squaw Creek is, and they just come straight down and um and 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 just hang around because there's water there's no snow cover and there's food yeah and that's one of the reasons i yeah. ask you jeff is you know where you've had better success missouri arkansas because you hear that that uh, the birds are being short stopped in missouri and the same token you hear that the birds are being short stopped in arkansas from going to louisiana louisiana has had you know very tough hunting the last few years and you know they're convinced birds just aren't making it down to louisiana well, well I, I would, but, oh, sorry, Jay Wall. No, no, go ahead, Jeff. Um, your I, there? I would say, and you know, one of the things um, I, I wouldn't say that I'm a I'm a snob by any means. Maybe the snob's the the wrong word, but I love to hunt ducks in the woods, and so I might leave Missouri. Yeah, you're a snob. Yeah. In, okay, to go hunt hunt the ducks in the woods because that's what I want to do, and I ha I can do that. So, I mean, I'd much rather shoot. Uh, two or have have two bunches of ducks do it right in the woods, then have ten ten bunches do it over a WRP. And it's not it's not because I don't like shooting them and don't like seeing them work. It's just I've got I've got that at my disposal, so that's what I want to go do. Yeah, that definitely though, Dave is right. That does qualify you as a duck snob, but that's okay. I mean, <laughs> you know me. <laughs> Wouldn't you agree, Dave? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Nothing wrong with that. I mean, I've hunted timber, and it's uh, yeah, it, it's magical. I mean, I can see where you get hooked. You know, here in Utah, we don't have a tree in sight in the marshes. You know, as far as you can see, I mean, you look ten miles, and there's not a freaking tree. So, obviously, we don't have too many timber opportunities. But I shot my first wood ducks. Actually, the first I've been hunting Utah for twenty, probably twenty-eight years. These are the first two wood ducks I've ever even freaking seen in 28 years. A drake and a hen on Sunday morning. So I don't know what they're thinking. They were definitely way off course because uh, they were in this you know big open marsh, the Great Salt Lake. So um, speaking of trees and and ducks, yeah, it was pretty pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Uh, yep, they came in on my boy's side. He was asleep on the muskrat house, and I had to sort of sneak around over to his side to jump him and. And he was not happy that he uh, took a nap at the wrong time. That's right. That's right. Oh, I bet Jack was pissed. <laughs> yep. Yeah, yep. That would have been a trophy, but he probably saved you some money because you'd have probably had to have had that Drake if probably he was in full so. plumage mounted for I him. just said, Jack, no worries. Just wait another 28 years. You might see another pair of wood ducks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We talk about the duck shortstopping, though. I think it happens everywhere. It's just a, with mallards, and I, and I want to qualify that, too, because, you know, they are. I mean, take a look at the gadwall kill over the last couple of years in Louisiana. Um, you know, they're pounding them. I mean, I hunt a lot in the Delta down in Mississippi, and 
in woods where we used to get mallards. I mean, we're still killing a lot of ducks in the woods. They're just all gray ducks yeah. because, you know, they, they're more photo migrators than they are climate migrators. But, you know, the mallard is by far the most um, affected by climate and the least affected by uh, daylight. So all up and down, you know, there are factors that influence that. I mean, Dave, the last time that I was out in Utah, um, Glade and, and uh, Clint and I went over and hunted in the central part of the state on some warm springs. Right. Actually, that was the far, far eastern part of the state, right near the Colorado border, actually. Right. Yeah. I'm yep. sorry. Eastern, I'm yep. sorry. Yeah, more east. That's exactly. And, you know, we got over there. It was either 14 or 17 below zero that afternoon, but we were hunting on warm springs um, with Morgan Freeman and the four of us killed 20. Of course, you know, you can kill seven mallards or seven ducks per person per day out there. We killed 27 greenheads and one drake widgeon. And that drake widgeon was the only non-mallard that we saw. With 14 below zero, with that warm water and abundance of food, those Russian olives there in that creek, those ducks aren't going anywhere. They stop there. They're not going any further south. No, you're yeah, right. You're right. So, Jeff, you hunt a lot of timber. Your uh, um, field staff with R&T and also rep their line. What, uh, I don't know, R&T has, man, they have a lot, a wide assortment of duck calls. What would be your, your favorite? R&T call if you're to pick one one call I'm, to use. I'm a Mondo guy. I'm a Mondo guy. Oh, yeah, guy. that's a, that's a relatively Mondo. new call. And, you know, I was looking at Max the other day, and they've expanded that Mondo line. Now they have, what, about six different models of Mondo duck calls? They do. They've got a straight yeah. Mondo, which was the original one that would be after that, um, uh, what, oak call. And um, mm -hmm. cut down call. Cut down, yeah. And then um, – then they came out with a Mondo LT for guys that didn't push as much air that uh, would, would kind of sound and have that mark that a Mondo's got. And then they came out uh, last year with the Mondo LA, which doesn't stand for Louisiana. It basically stands for or Los, Los Angeles. Yeah. Or, or Los Angeles, right? It stands for lower Arkansas. And then they introduced the shorts in all three series. So you, you decrease the, amount of space in between the the lip lip area and the tone board and it just makes them easier to blow those mondos if you if you're not used to blowing them they're really hard to blow for the normal cat so oh i'm sure if you have a bad cold forget it keep it at home right yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah that's right that's right uh, what about your yeah. shotgun of choice it's got to be a beretta or benelli mm -hmm. i love the 28 gauge and really? So I shoot a wow. lot. Of, I shoot a lot of 28 gauges. Um, uh, I shoot. I have both an A400 and and I have an Ethos. Uh, and um, Jay Paul, that just confirms the fact he's a snob. He's a timber hunter and 28 gauge. On top of that. And well, I, I, hadn't, <laughs> I hadn't. I hadn't got. I hadn't got into what I really like to do, and that's really like to shoot them with my Model 42 410. Oh, that's awesome! You know, I inherited a Model 42 from my great grandpa, and. Uh, well, yeah, that is. I killed a lot of rabbits that. with that. Uh, but you're yeah, what do you do? I mean, that's an old gun. Uh, what do you do? I mean, aren't you worried about the barrel bulging? Do you uh, have some work done? No. Uh, what, no. uh, you are no, you I shoot, shoot bismuth and uh, 
yeah, I, I shoot business or classic doubles through it. Okay. All right. So here's a question for you. I mean, obviously you're a duck snob if you're shooting a 28 gauge and you like that 410 model 42 Winchester uh, and you only like in the timber. Do you drive a Range Rover also? No, sir. I got F <laughs> F350 pickups. That's it. But I, I, you dress in tweed, though, don't you? I thought you wore a sick nope. guy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I don't dress in tweed. I'm about to oh, okay. take home. I just, I just like, I just like, um, you know, shooting, shooting those little guns. And you know what? What's amazing is that um, we shoot the little guns a lot more than a lot of people think. And um, I mean, I shoot them up with Ira at Locust Grove up in heaven, and and um, we take the 28 gauges and just work them over. 28 gauges got one of the best patterns of all the gauges, and you just gotta you just gotta mm -hmm. shoot them shoot them right, you know. So what choke tube and what uh, size shot do you use in a 28? I'm using just standard heavy shot sixes in it. I, in fact, mm -hmm. here you go. I went I drew a Swan tag in Nevada last year, and I went to Nevada and shot a Swan 35 yards with a 28 gauge. That's impressive. You know, uh, small gauges are great. They're fun. You know, my, my son hunts a 20 gauge and he's made some shots this year where I, you know, I was about raised. No, Jack, don't shoot. They're too far. Shot and drops them dead clean with, you know, a skeet tube and number four shot and uh, a little 20 gauge. So, I mean, they, it, it all, if you're on them, you're on them, you're going to kill them. If you're off, you know, you're not going to kill them with a, with a 10 gauge, you know? Well, that's right. You get, you get uh, a couple of years ago, I had Skip Knowles, and Skip will tell you that it could be the best duck hunt he's ever been on in his life. He'd been on several uh, uh, boondoggles to go timber shooting and lo in Arkansas, and lo and behold, he has the best timber shoot of his life in the state of Missouri. And he wasn't going to come. And I had to convince – it was when we were launching the Timberline, we were doing all the video content, all the content gathering for the timber launch. Um, for city gear and he called me two days before or the day before and says jeff i'm not coming the weather's going to be 60 degrees and i'm not coming i've been on too many of these to where it just it just it's just a a, a mess and i'm like skip we went today and this was a sunday we went today and i had seven kids with me and all seven kids were shooting 20 gauges uh, or uh, one of them was shooting a 410 i said all of them shot their ducks and all of them shot their ducks by 10 o'clock. If you don't, if you're not on that plane and in that airport, I'm never inviting you back. <laughs> and so he, he showed up, he showed up. And I mean, he, the whole time from the airport, so a two hour drive, hour and a half drive, something like that. He's like, man, this was a bad decision. I just moved to Colorado. I don't even have my favorite gun. I said, well, your favorite gun's a 28 gauge A400, isn't it? He goes, yep. I said, I got one right in the back, brand new out of the box. And so, and so he, he goes, are you kidding me? And I said, no, it's right there. We're shooting little gauges. And for four days, we shot 28 gauges and four tens and murdered them. And he's like, every day, he's like, I cannot believe this. I shot four times today, Jeff. And I said, that's how it's supposed to be. Because we can only shoot four mallards, four mallards mm -hmm. right here. And so I shot four times today. And then he, um, he thought he'd get cute and try to clean a brand new gun. Well, second day into it so the third day he goes out turns the 28 gauge into a single shot and one of my partners in in the club down there uh, was done with a 410 over and under and I was shooting a 40 model 42 and he was shooting over under and he said skip here use my gun so uh, we get a bunch of ducks come in and Drake's just hovering right right in front of him and 
he whiffs on him with the first shot, shoots him in the butt with the second shot, and it goes drifting across to one of my other partners, and he crushes him. And dog brings him back. The freaking bird's banded. He still no. won't. He still won't let me live it down. The 410. He'll every once in a while he'll put a blurb in his little editorial comment there at the beginning saying, "And don't ever think about taking a 410 to the woods with you, or to the field with you. It's the worst duck gun ever." Yeah. You just got to shoot, Skip. Yeah, and for you guys, for our listeners who don't know who who Skip is, Skip Knowles is the editor of Wildfowl Magazine and one of the most avid duck hunters in the country. So <laughs> Skip's definitely been around. Yeah, so you ask him, and he'll tell you it could be the best duck hunt he's ever been on. Wow. You know, I got another question for you. So your Model 42, are you shooting Are you shooting a uh, Winchester Model 42, or are you shooting a newer Browning Model 42? No, nope, these are Winchester Model 42s. I got them from yep. a friend of mine by the name of Duck Combs, who... He might have had the largest Model 42 collection in the country, or maybe the world. He wrote it. He helped write the book on the Model 42 for with Winchester, and I actually have three of them. All of them oh, are jokes, and um, I shoot them all. I, it does. I mean, I have one. My kids, my kids move one around. Another friend of mine borrows one here and there, but I, there's no gun that I own that doesn't go hunting. I don't. I don't believe in. Uh, not shooting them. I shoot. I they never sit idle. Yep, I agree. Yep, they're they're made to shoot and hunt with. You know, I got mine from my great grandpa. I mentioned uh, got a Model 42 and a Model 12 20 gauge. And uh, my great grandpa Gus Howler. I guess who his hunting buddy was John Olin. I'll be damned. And really? John Olin gave him those guns. Actually, my great grandpa was county commissioner, and he gave Winchester the incentives. And you know, break to um, build in East Alton, and actually, my great grandpa owned a lot of the land where the Olin, you know, East Alton Winchester facility is right now. So, yeah, pretty neat uh, little history. Him and John Olin were were hunting buds. I got old photos of him and John Olin at uh, actually at Nilo Farms, you know, in front of piles of ducks, dressed in tweed, of course. You know, John Olin always had the knickers on, and you know, sporting guy. There you go. Wow, I didn't know that you had a couple 42s. I actually, I've got three. I've got a uh, two and a half inch chambered ancient trap gun Winchester that I don't shoot. And uh, I've got, um, actually got four. I've got an Angelo B engraved Winchester 42. And I've also got another Winchester uh, model 42 full choke vent rib. And I've got a Browning 42 model 410 and it's the one that I hunt with most of the time but my favorite 410 um, is a one that you'd appreciate I've got a Browning superposed 410 slash 28 gauge that I inherited from my father it's a pigeon grade gun it is super nice super sweet yeah um, and it was actually it was bought by Kim Wilson for Spence Wilson to use in the 410 hole at um, Greenbrier. Oh, wow. My dad bought it from Spence a few years ago and then passed it on to me. That is okay. a sweet gun. Have you ever been there to Greenbrier, Jeff? Oh, yeah, I'm familiar with Greenbrier. Um, I, you know, I'm more, when it comes to double guns, I'm more of a side-by-side -side guy. And the only, the, what I'm missing, I've got Parker, 
28 gauge, um, a, um, a uh, Parker 20 gauge, a Beretta 20 gauge, a, um, and then I've got a couple guns that were made in Italy by Sandra Lucchini, a 12 and a 20 gauge for me. I'm missing a 410, and I've been Would you looking. Like to have a Winchester Model 21. I'd love to have a 21. I've got actually, I've got one of the guys in my in the other, not the Timber Club. Well, actually, he's in the Timber Club too. That's all he shoots is 21s or Foxes. And I've been looking for an A8 Fox or a 21 in 410. I don't, I don't know if they even made 21s in 410 that much. You know, if there were many of them, I don't know. Yeah, I, I doubt if they did. Yeah, I got an old. Uh, actually, inherited from my great grandpa and L.C. Smith side by side. In fact, I killed my first first ducks and goose with that lc smith i've got a model 21 and 20 gauge but i'm not i'm not sure i've ever seen a 21 in 410 yeah i don't i don't i know fox did and lc smith but i don't know i don't know if they did 21s in 410 hey jeff going to uh gear speaking about gear and sick of gear um obviously you're uh pro staff or you know athlete for sicka and and um give them a, a lot of ideas and input. Um, what is your favorite uh, piece of Sika gear, if you were to narrow it down to, well, to one garment or one one, one item of Sika gear? The waders, man. The Delta Zips yeah. are the best waterfowl waiter ever made, period. That's Water. what I hear. Yep, I've, had, I've owned Gore-Tex waders in the past. Browning had uh, Gore-Tex waders and actually Sims. And, and yeah, those Sims waders I had lasted 10 years. Yeah, Brownings were yeah. had terrible boots. The boots are garbage. Yeah. Yeah. I had the boots were, go uh, out of me in two months. Yeah. See, that's the that's the deal with this waiter man is that. So I worked for Sims for 16 years. I launched the Gore-Tex waiter program with Sims back in 1993, and um, for fly fishing. And so I've been affiliated with Gore-Tex for my whole rep career, really, or WL Gore. And um, uh, so we've pretty much been working on these waders at Sitka for since, I mean, the, the, the whole brain trust and, and product brief started in 2011. And then we started working some samples and this, that, and the other in about 2013, 14 timeframe. And then we, we could never find a boot. And then lacrosse made some developments in some boots and, um, two let's see this will be two for two years i wore those i wore some prototypes with the boots and at one time we had uh you know a number of different boots out there and by far we 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 said you know one of the things in the brief was if we can keep a waterfowler's feet warm and then keep him dry then we're going to hit a home run period well we got the we, we definitely got the feet warm deal these are the warmest boots that I've ever had on my feet, waterfowl hunting, period. Comfortable, light. Um, you know, you don't feel like you're, you're trudging around through uh, carrying cement blocks on your feet or, or they're so oversized, they look like Mickey Mouse boots. Mm -hmm. um, How many grams of Thinsulate are they, Jeff? Are they they're, not, they're not rated that way. They're, there's ah. no Thinsulate. Mm -hmm. It's an arrow form boat. It's an arrow okay. form boot. So you're mm -hmm. using air pockets and foam instead of material or fabric insulation and so i mean i think the boots are probably if you were to if you wanted to correlate it with that which we really don't very often but it's going to be in the 1600 to 1800 range in there i mean they're just awesome boots and you know um are they are they something you're going to go bushwhacking through a briar briar patch or or thorn thorn deal absolutely not because 
um, it, that, that's not what Gore-Tex product and, and breathable products used for. That was, um, that's what that neoprene stuff was used for and cause it would self seal, but it was just, it was just so uncomfortable. Uh, so cumbersome to, to, to use, you'd create so much heat and, uh, sweat factor and then get cold later, no breathability. I mean, these things, these things are awesome. And, um, we're in a, we're in an oversold state at Sitka right now. Can't, we just can't meet the demand for it. And, um, which hopefully will get corrected, but at the wow, end of the that, day, that's amazing success story. Let me ask oh, you yeah. a lifetime warranty on those pretty much. Right, Jeff? Well, they are, there is a lot, all Sitka product has a lifetime warranty on it. Um, and basically there is a life cycle of all of these products. And so a mm -hmm. life cycle and lifetime warranty, they don't mean the same thing. A lifetime warranty is a, um, you know, if you, if, if you wear the knees out because they're just wore through the fabric over a period of time, you know, that's different than uh, a material workmanship and defect. Deal. Sure. And it's same with our boats. I mean, obviously boats, you know, through, if it's a faulty weld, it's on us, you know, it's our bad, but if it's just wear and tear, obviously that's, that's not warranty. So yeah, very that's similar to our okay. warranty. That's right. And so what you end up having is um, you end up having a waiter that unlike um, other breathable waiters that are out there, you can't repair them. And you've got a waiter here that's repairable in the field. You can actually repair the waiter and use it either later that day or the next day for sure. If it's in the, if it's not in the boot. So basically these waiters, if for instance, let's say um, the thigh, you're, you, you think you got a wet spot or a leak in your thigh area. So basically you take the waiter, you kind of, you kind of just visualize where it is on the outside or on the inside of the waiter and uh, maybe there's a wet spot on it. And you take a bottle of isopropyl alcohol, spray the inside of the waiter, and what you'll find is a gray spot. And that gray spot or a dark spot, that dark spot is where water has come through the membrane. And it, uh, the, the waiter, every waiter comes with an Aquaseal and, and tape repair kit. You basically crack that Aquaseal on, excuse, excuse me, crack the aqua seal open and then you just you just use a little bit almost like you're applying chapsticks to your lips you squeeze a little bit out and you just dab it or roll rub it in a circle around that little little um uh that little gray area cover the gray area i i, I over cover it a little bit you know so you're you're doing a little more than the gray area and um the alcohol that's already in the fabric helps dry helps the uh, speed up the drying factor of the of the aqua seal and I've, I've patched them and used them two hours later. You know, Jeff, that's been my biggest beef with, with newer waiters today is that, uh, you know, I mean, they're, they're awesome, the technology, but they are impossible to repair a leak. You know, you have the actual waiter material and on top of that, you have this other material up to your knees. And if you have a leak, you cannot locate it. You know, my old, uh, my old technique was getting a, dark room with a flashlight shine a flashlight in your waders and guess what that light would come out where the leak is well you can't do that with these new waders anymore maybe that's by purpose but you know you have a leak now and i pretty much have to seal the in entire freaking seam you know because i don't know where the leak is and uh and and usually i'm not too successful so you know hats off to Sika in addressing the ability to easily 
repair a leak. And I think that's why in the past I used to be able to get 10 years out of waiters because I could repair them. I could find the leak and repair them. With newer waiters now, I can't. Yeah, and that's, you know, and, and you you talk about that that other fabric liner, insulation type liner that's in there. And we, you know, Sitka basically is a, is a skin to shell um, company. So we sell layering that um, pretty much allows you not to have an insulated um, uh, fabric liner in the thing to where um, you don't need that. And um, at least that's how we feel. We, we, we don't need it. And so um, with our core lightweight stuff all the way to the heavyweight merino or core heavyweight uh, product that we sell for our base layer and our next to skin product, you know, we cover all that stuff. And, you know, there's been a lot of, a lot of product testing, a lot of development, a lot of thought go into the, the design of that. So it would work well and layer well under waders. Uh, gradient pant would be a pant that every waterfowler, whether they're buying our waders or not, should have. I mean, it's basically a, a, just one of the most comfortable four-way stretch fleece pants you can find out there. And it's got a lot of loft and a lot of warmth. You know, I have three pair of them. And I love that more than any other hunting pant. To me, it's like uh, wearing your lounge pants yeah. out yeah. to hunt in pajamas. That's exactly right. It's comfortable garment and functional the way they stretch, you know, the, the comfort level, the warmth of them, uh, just a fantastic product. And it does work great underneath those breathable waders, whether it's your brand or, you know, um, I've got another brand that, has the, their lining, a quilted lining um, comes yeah. out, and uh, I don't even know where to find the lining for those because I, I wear my Sitka gear under it, you know, the next to skin stuff when it's really, really warm outside all the way through, you know, the fleece pants when it's uh, very, very cold and unbelievably comfortable. I can only imagine how the layering products Sitka makes are gonna work in the new sick waiters and uh hopefully i'll be seeing a pair pair here shortly i'm gonna have to get on ryan bassam he said he would be sending me some but i ain't seen him yet so good luck with that because i can tell you i've bought three pairs from retailers the mike retailers in in my territory because i can't get them so i've got the original prototype pair that i have that i've been wearing that are fine but i bought i bought one for my youngest boy and um, one for one of my, my best hunting buddies and uh, that hunts with me all the time. And then uh, one for one of my other sons. So uh, I, I hope Ryan gets a pair for you, but I wouldn't hold your breath because there aren't many out there. Maybe next year, J-Paul. <laughs> next season. Sounds like I'm out of luck. Did you get any, Dave? <laughs> nope. Nope. I don't have any. No, they, they're they're hard to come by. So that, that's a good problem to have for Sitka. I know uh, that, that's a quite a success story. Yeah. To sell uh, nine hundred dollar pair of waders and uh, not be able to keep them in stock, and um, you know Man, they're, they're worth the money, I, especially with that warranty. I mean, we've already been writing orders for 2019, and wow. I mean, I could use. Uh, I, I've got standing orders for thousand pairs from three or four different dealers. So, and I, I'm I'm not going to get them. So, you know, Sika has just proved uh, proved to the industry that you know the, the consumer will pay more for quality product i mean you look at well, Sika, what they came out with 500 hundred dollar hunting jackets which you know a few years ago it's like wow man who's gonna pay 500 dollars for a hunting jacket now it's uh, you know the answer is everybody everybody who wants right. good quality gear 
will pay that much uh, for gear that is good quality, functional, comfortable, and will last, you know, for years, not a lifetime. Well, you years. got that right. I mean, basically every hunting apparel company out there, that whether they're in the waterfowl game, the big game category, or the whitetail category, is thanking us because we created a, a, another category that was a price category that was well above the industry norm, and it's allowed them to 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 try different thresholds but at the end of the day we make great product it's very there's a lot of thought goes into it a lot of testing goes into it and it performs and it keeps you in the field uh, more comfortable in the field longer and that's that's the bottom line and it's got the best camel pattern in the industry no doubt about that Optifade has revolutionized camo i love Optifade, and you know the durability too i mean you talk about the thing that i like the most about my Sika gear um, is the the fit of it, but also the durability. I mean, I, I've got several pieces of Sika gear and I've put them through a lot of abuse. I don't have anything that even is close to being worn out. Yeah, yeah, that's it's good stuff, man. No, I, I got a story about my, I, saw, I bought my son some uh, Pantanal gloves last year for Christmas. Yeah, you know, first day out this year, we got home, and you know, a week later, we're going hunting. He's like, Jack, where are those gloves? Could not find them anywhere. Ripped the house apart looking for those things. Looked in every hunting bag I have and gun box and could not find them. Well, last Sunday we were hunting, and I was I have a stool that I keep out in my hunting spot. And uh, usually the stool's laying under the water. <laughs> and uh, part of it's chewed open from mice that got in. I had food in this. Too. It has a little pocket. And I look in there and it's like, I see some Optifade. Jack, I found your gloves. These gloves have been sitting underwater for two weeks. Oh, wow. And I thought, oh, man, these things are trash. They're going to smell. Put, put them through a cycle in the wash. Dried them on the glove dryer. They look like new. So, <laughs> yeah. Good testament. I was happy. I was uh, pretty mad at Jack. I'll but bet. actually, it's probably my fault because I'm the one that put him in that <laughs> that stool yeah. in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. I'll tell you what, Jeff. It has been our pleasure having you on here with us today. And, uh, I, you know, we definitely got to have you back. I mean, you've had some tremendous experiences along the way, and you get to hunt with some some really cool people. One question that we ask all of our first-time guests. So if you and I and Dave are hunting together and – and we get hungry and we want to go pilfer through your blind bag and uh, try to find something to snack on. What are we going to find? What's your go-to snack in your blind bag? Well, you're probably going to find some cinnamon um, brown or brown sugar uh, uh, Pop-Tarts in there. And you're probably going to find some Ritz peanut butter crackers. Brown sugar Pop-Tarts. Those are my favorite. Well, but you know, you know, I got shelled corn in my bag. I know J. Paul knows yeah. that. I like to munch on that. <laughs> And but, and I'm not gonna say I'm not I'll have to test independently because I'm not gonna say it over there. But wait till you see what those pop tarts are in. So what is it? A plano? Yeah, plano pop tart case? No, it's it's bought from Kellogg's pop tarts. It's a pop tart case. You can buy them. <laughs> Go on eBay or Amazon or really? you can buy them. Yeah, <laughs> but mine I can tell you right now. There there nobody's got uh, maybe one other person's got one like mine. Wow, that is a novelty. You have pop tarts and they aren't crushed they're not crushed you're not having uh, to i gotta look into that you can actually take them out whole wow yeah. well 
Jeff Dave snack is in a fifty pound burlap sack. Hope <laughs> Colonel Corn. He's got three kinds of calls: cracked corn, cob corn, and shelled corn. Right? <laughs> there you go. Hey, exactly. it's good carbohydrates. Yeah, you know, it, it's good stuff. Just a little crunchy. It's, it's not bad. <laughs> right. That's right. Oh, Dave, one Jeff, Dave once told me. Jay Paul, if you want to be a better duck caller, just put out more corn. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good point. <laughs> you know, one of these days somebody's going to be listening to these podcasts and they're really Yeah, gonna I know. Them. I'm going to get a knock on the door one of these days. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, man, it has been a pleasure having you both today. Of course, Dave, you know, my partner in crime, I don't, it's a lot of fun always, but having you, Jeff, it's been a blast too, and and we want to thank you guys. And uh, before we go, either one of you guys got a, got anything else you want to throw out there? A parting shot, a comment? Not. I don't. I don't have anything else. I'd love to be back, and we can talk about other stuff, whether it be Mo Marsh or or Rig and Ride, or you know, or other adventures. I mean, like like uh, like um, you said, I've been on a bunch. I mean, Ivor McCauley actually and I, we took our youngest our boys to uh new zealand and shot waterfowl over there black swans um um paradise shell ducks um the wow. australasian shovelers whole deal so yeah i'd love I, i'll do Dave, this you want me to do it no kidding man you know and i, I never have a parting shot because you know why why because parting shots are always a waste of ammo it's like oh you man you already <laughs> missed him twice in that parting shot he's you know 80 yards away it's like boom so yeah, I, I don't, I, I don't do parking well, shots man. anymore when I can Just, help it. You know, here's the deal with that one: is a guaranteed miss is a shot not taken. <laughs> that is true. Ammo yeah. is cheap. You know, yeah, well, that's right. Cheap is fun enough. Well, and see, and I'm just the opposite from you, Jeff. I mean, I, I love hunting in the timber. Don't get me wrong. I, I'm. I'd just soon be standing by a white oak tree and flood timber than anywhere in this world. But if I have to choose between two volleys and 10, I'm that guy that has a lot of bloodlust. I just like to kill. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> I, do, I, don't, I don't disagree. I don't disagree. I like to kill. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I get, I get to the, there's always a certain amount of remorse, you know, in those good days when I kill that last duck. And you don't have to limit out to have a great hunt. I don't mean that at all. Some of the best hunts I've been on, you know, four guys, we didn't kill three ducks, but I had a blast. But, uh, man, I like watching them work anywhere. I like watching them finish, whether it's in the timber, a rice field, a cornfield, a marsh. For me, um, it's about watching them finish, yeah. period you know no yeah. matter where but most of all i just like to kill stuff and uh, <laughs> with you and holly grove and dave coming to marvel every year in, in january we need to make it a point for the three of us to get together at either your yeah. spot my spot or bill's spot with dave and uh and go after him and record another one of these while we're out in the blind yeah, yeah most definitely I'm that'd be I'm great just let me know what all right well i got your email jeff i'm gonna stay in touch we're going to make okay. that a plan. So we'll try to get a podcast with um, sick athlete Jeff Watt and uh, Excel Boats sales director extraordinaire Dave Reynolds and myself going sometime in January. But uh, until next time, J. Paul Jackson here for my buddy Dave Reynolds, our guest Jeff Watt. 
we all want to thank you for tuning in to this edition of the Excel Boats on the X podcast, powered by Mud Buddy Motors.